Hello, Solid Rock. In a few weeks, we will be back together. Today, we're going to do things a little bit differently. I'm going to preach to you first. Then we have a song, a parody, and then uh, our special speaker today is Mona from our Bible College. And then we have another song. And so I ask that you tune in, enjoy it, and uh, share it, like it if you like it. If you don't like it, like it anyway on YouTube, Facebook, whatever it is. And we'll see you soon. Here comes the word. Good morning, Solid Rock. Uh, today, if you have your sermon handout, your notes, your Bible, uh, you can write this down. The title of the message today is Created to Be. Created to Be. Not created to do, but created to be. I've spent most of my life, because of my personality, because of the way I was raised, I spent a lot of my life always wanting to do. What can I do for God to love me? What can I do to be accepted by Him? What can I do to succeed? What can I, I do to have more of God's love in my life? What can I do? In fact, uh, I have uh, been in and out of counseling for like 20 years. Uh, you know, not because not I'm crazy. Um, although, you know, that's still to be determined. Uh, but because I enjoy it, I think it's good for me. When I find the right counselor for that season of life, I I stick with them for several months, you know, every week, just bouncing off ideas, getting wisdom. There's one phrase that I've heard different counselors tell me uh, for the past 20 years. And if you're real smart like I am, uh, when you have the different counselors saying the same thing to you, you know, year after year, you want to take note of it. And they all pretty much, in their own words, say something like this. John Paul, you need to just be. You need to just be. Be, just, just learn to be a child of God. Just be present. Just be in the moment. Just be, uh, uh, just be a son of God. Just be. Just be. So I'll say, okay, what do I need to do to be? And they said, no, no, stop with the doing. Just be. Just be. In fact, one counselor said this to me. We were not created as human doings. We were created as human beings. He created us to be. And I realized that at one point God said to Adam and Eve, you know, tend the garden and work the garden. And the do comes later on. The do is through God, is God working through us. But he created us to simply be his children. Just be. Uh, if you're like me, if you have a personality similar to mine, uh, you will stay awake at night because of things that you didn't do the day before. Or things you need to do the next day as soon as the sun rises. Or things you need to do differently. It's all about the do. And God's trying to show us today that he wants us to learn to simply be. So what you're going to get from today in the next 30 minutes, if you'll really take note, if you'll really listen closely, uh, you can work with me because this is something I struggle with and I always have to be reminded to do. But I'm going to teach you how to just relax as a child of God. How to take the focus off what you need to do differently, what you haven't done, what you need to do tomorrow, do the day before, what you didn't do right. Take all that, throw it away, and learn how to simply be. Uh, this attitude is what we call a works mentality. It's where I have in my mind, God will accept me if I can just fill in the blank. 
God will love me more if I can just fill in the blank. God will be pleased with me and he'll be proud of me and he will just hold me in his arms and say, John Paul, you know, I'm so in love with you. If I can just do fill in the blank. And I want you to just get rid of that mentality. And today you're going to learn how to simply be a child of God. So we were created to be. There's three things I want to talk to you about today. Point number one is this. We were created to believe. Before he ever told us to do anything, and I personally think this takes decades of walking with Jesus to learn how to simply believe. We were created to first believe. It says in Genesis 2.16, The Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you can eat freely, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat it. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Listen, God's desire was for us to just believe him first. His desire was for us to hear his words and simply believe it. People say things like experience is the best teacher. Okay, experience is the worst teacher. Every parent has the desire for their children to just believe what they say. We do not want our children to experience a car wreck without their seatbelt. Having uh, been drinking and driving, texting and driving. We don't want them to ex we don't want our kids to say after the car wreck, now I believe you. Now I believe what you said about wearing the seatbelt, paying attention, driving. Now I believe. We want our children to take our word for it, okay? Experience is the worst teacher. Faith is the best teacher. Faith is God said it, I believe it. Let me show you some scriptures about how some people didn't believe. Numbers 14, 11, How long will these people not believe me? With all the signs I performed, God said, with everything I've done for you already, everything I've done for you up to date, and you still don't believe what I'm telling you about this area of life? Second Chronicles 20, 20, hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe the Lord your God and what he says, and you will prosper. It doesn't say, hey, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you'll prosper. Here's what it says to start off with. You simply need to just believe. So I'm asking you today to stop working on the doing and spend time every day, quiet time with Jesus, just believing what he says. Just being so filled with faith in the word that you just take him at what comes out of his mouth. God, you said it. I believe it. We have to believe just to start our relationship. You know, uh, in marriage, whenever you're married in this country, there's certain you know benefits, tax benefits. You have to sign the marriage license and you get performed. Well, in, in being married to Jesus, it starts with just believing. When you believe, there's things that come along with being in a relationship with him. But believing is the start. That's where you start the relationship is just believe. John chapter 3. I know you know verse 16. God loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes will have everlasting life. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Our relationship starts with believing, but listen real close. We are called to continue believing as the days progress. Now, if you're filled with unbelief in some area or doubt in some other area, you don't lose your salvation, but you do lose something beneficial to you on earth. Let me show you. 1 John 5, 13, I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So here's what you do. You believe for eternal life. Now watch this. That you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Why do we need to keep believing? 
Why is this something that I have to do every single day before I do anything for God or before I don't do the right thing or change what I'm doing here? Why do I have to start off just believing every day? Why can't I believe once and be done with it? Here's why. We believe initially for eternal life, but we continue to believe for abundant life. If you really want to have abundance in your life, you got to believe what God says about miracles and healing. You got to believe what he says about finances, believe what he says about relationships, believe what he says about forgiveness or bitterness or gossip. The more we just simply believe, the more we see abundant life. I've told you the story about the famous tightrope walker who stretched a line across Niagara Falls and started walking across the tightrope. Immediately, a crowd started to gather and they're cheering him on. And, you know, he walks across with a broom in his hand and walks across, you know, with a with something, a sign in both of his hands, you know, waving at everybody. Then finally, he gets a wheelbarrow and he pushes the wheelbarrow all the way across the line across on top of Niagara Falls. Then he puts his German shepherd in the wheelbarrow and walks all the way across from one end to the other. I mean, the crowd's going wild. It's getting bigger and bigger. Hundreds starting to turn into thousands. Then he puts his eight-year-old son in the wheelbarrow and walks all the way across the tightrope one end to the other. There was this guy in the audience that was watching, you know, for the past two, three hours. He was the biggest fan. He was screaming and yelling and just cheering and clapping for him. And so the tightrope walker said to the guy, he said, hey, man, do you believe that I can do this all over again? The guy said, oh, I know you can. He said, do you believe I can push this wheelbarrow across this tightrope once again without falling? He said, I know you can do it. The guy says, I don't know if you really believe I can do this. That man kind of got offended. He said, listen, I've been watching you all day. Hour after hour, I've seen you do it a dozen times. I am absolutely, totally 100% sure that you can do this again. The tightrope walker looked at the man and said, okay, sir, would you please get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> the man kind of thought, uh, I don't know if I really believe. Okay, here's what I'm asking us to do. Every day, not just once in your life, every day, I'm asking you to take time to get in the wheelbarrow and just trust God. Believe what he says in every area of our life. Deuteronomy 9.23 says, When God said to go up and possess the land, you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord, and you didn't believe him, nor obey his voice. Okay, we're, we're, a lot of times us people like me, we're so caught up on the disobedience and what I should do differently. And here's what this is saying. The areas we disobey are the areas we don't believe. Just like Adam and Eve, the heirs we disobey are the heirs we know. So instead of focusing on, oh, I'm so guilt stricken and I did it wrong again, we need to focus on God. I just want to believe you. Whatever area this is, I want to get in the word and just hear it and read it and hear it and read it until I believe exactly what you say in this area of my life. In the Garden of Eden, there were two people other than Adam and Eve, two people who were present who both wanted to be believed. Their goal was for Adam and Eve to believe them. One was the voice of God. Genesis 3 verse 2, God said, you must not eat from the tree or you'll die. You must not or you'll die. Now listen real close. Satan came in. 
He was very subtle. He, he didn't scream like a demon. He didn't, you know, yell with a pitchfork in his hand. That'd be too obvious. He very subtly came in and he simply said the exact opposite of what God said. God said, eat the tree, you'll die. Satan said in verse four, you shall not die. You won't die. You won't. God said, you will save you. Now, both voices asked Adam and Eve, the children of God, to believe what they said. And sometimes we fall into the same trap of believing the exact opposite of what God in his word said to us. Um, if I can be very transparent with you, uh, this is something that I battle on a daily basis. I hear the voice of Satan a lot more than you probably think. And I'm not, you know, talking cultish or anything, but he bombards me. He bombards me on a regular basis with things that are the exact opposite of God's word. Sometimes I'll drown out Satan's voice with prayer. Sometimes I'll drown out his voice with worship. Sometimes I'll drown out his voice with my Bible. Sometimes, to be really honest, I drown out his voice with Netflix. Just get something else, you know, going on up here. But Satan will say to me, it's the same thing every time. That's how I know it's Satan. It's the same uh, phrases over and over in areas that are exact opposite of God's word. He'll tell me, John Paul, you're not cut out to minister. Uh, you know, you're, 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 you're the worst preacher there is. Out of everyone in the church who deserves to preach, you're the very least. You're not fit for it. You're not spiritually mature. Uh, you're not as you know, wise as these other pastors. You're not as patient as these other pastors. You're not fit for ministry. He'll use people. He'll, and Satan will work through the voice box of human beings to speak the same thing. I have to make the decision. And sometimes I fail to believe. Sometimes I do. And I get caught up in depression, discouragement. But I have to choose to believe what God... I have to choose to believe that if God's word says I'm the apple of his eye... If his word said I can do all things that he's called me to do through Jesus Christ who gives me the strength to do it, I have to believe it. That I'm a one God, apostolic, tongue-talking, holy rolling, born again, heaven-bound believer in the liberated power of Jesus' name, washed in the blood, sanctified by the Spirit. Uh, my name's written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm more than a conqueror. My name is, is, is sealed by the Holy Spirit the day of redemption. And God is in full control and I put my trust in him. I have to believe it every single day. And it's a fight. Satan's voice, the voice of God, but I have to be the one to choose which one I'm going to believe. And what I believe determines later on what I do. But it all starts with me simply learning that I was created to believe. So here's the question. What do I do? I want to do something. John 6, 28. They said to Jesus, what shall we do? I ask this question every day of my life. What do I do? That we may work the works of God. Jesus said this. This is the work that you believe in him who he sent. So you want to do something? Spend time every day believing. You were created first to believe. Number two is this. Number two. We were created to belong. To belong. We were created to belong to the family of God, to belong to God, to belong to Jesus. We were created to belong. I don't know about you, but um, I always have had a desire to belong. I want to belong to some group. I want to belong to some people. I want to belong. And, and so we've done things, at least I've done stupid things in order to belong. I took up smoking at one point because I wanted to belong to this group. 
in high school, I pretended like for like a whole year that I actually enjoyed high school football. I pretended that because I wanted to belong to this group. I even pretended like I enjoyed hunting, hunting, killing animal to belong until I saw my first deer killed. I didn't want to belong to that group anymore. Now, I'll eat the deer. I just won't kill it. But we all have done things to be accepted because we, we, we fear rejection. We run from being. So we want it so bad to belong. Genesis 3, 7, the eyes of them were opened. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They heard the sound of God walking in the garden. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees. Verse 9, then God called to Adam, where are you? Adam said, I heard your voice and I was afraid, so I hid myself. Listen, first of all, I want you to see this. Adam hid from God because he realized that because of sin, he no longer belonged. He realized that he was separated from God because of sin. And God knew where Adam was at. God didn't say, Adam, I don't know where. God was asking Adam, do you know where you are? Do you know where your position is? Do you know that your position has changed because of sin? Do you know that you don't belong anymore? And Adam and Eve hid themselves for that. Let me show you how we were born rejected. Isaiah 59 two: your iniquities have separated from you from God. Because God is perfect, your sin has separated you from this perfect God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I love the scripture because there are some people that think, well, after I got saved, I don't sin anymore. Watch this. All have sinned. That's, that's the past. But listen, just to make sure you, you understand right now that you still sin and fall short. That's the present tense. You, you have sinned, but guess what? Right now, you fall short of the glory of God. Now, the word fall short comes from a Greek word. Because the New Testament, this part was in Greek. And I'm not going to tell you the Greek word because you're not going to remember it anyway. But most Greek words come from either the context of a sporting type, type vernacular or um, an army-based, armed forces, like a fighting, like a soldier, either sporting or soldier. In this case, fall short comes from a sporting context. Almost like um, a, a bow and arrow, like an archery, like an archery event. Um, I've heard a lot of preachers say that fall short here means that we miss the target. It doesn't mean that we miss the target. It means we miss the bullseye. Like when you're playing darts at our house, uh, we have a pool table, a ping pong table, and a dartboard. And I just, you know, I hung the dartboard up and I, I thought, you know, this will be fun for the kids. I didn't realize how many times they actually missed the whole target. I've had to putty up and paint that wall like two or three times. And even today, there's holes all around the target. But as they get older, they, they hit the target. I hit the target. But listen, we never hit the bullseye. In fact, God's uh, perfection, uh, what, what God requires is that every thought we think, every word we speak, and every action we take, that we hit the bullseye every single time. You might not realize this, but you throw 20,000 darts a day and you never hit the bullseye. Even if you did hit the bullseye 19,999 times and you missed the bullseye once, you're imperfect. Let me show you how God needs perfection, how God requires perfection. Leviticus 22, 21, whoever offers a sacrifice to the Lord, it must be perfect to be accepted. So here's what I do. If you're like me, you do this. You just try harder. And today, God, I'm going to get hit the bullseye at least three times. 
And tomorrow I'm going to hit the bullseye at least, you know, three or four hundred times. And I just try. And then I get out of bed and I miss the bullseye. And I start over the next day. Okay, God, today I'm going to hit the bullseye. And I try harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. And all I'm doing is looking at my own strength. Because we were born rejected. But listen, we were born again accepted. Jesus hit the bullseye every single time he threw a dart. And because I'm a believer, which means I'm in relationship with him, I get to be perfect, not based on my performance, not based even on my progress, but based on my position, because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering, he has perfected, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Listen, I'm not even fully sanctified. I'm being sanctified. I still mess up, but here's the good news. I've been made perfect because Jesus threw the dark perfect every single time. If Jesus had taken away every one of my sins, but one, I'd be imperfect. That's why he had to take away every single one of my bazillion sins. Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. I belong. I now belong in the family of God because of what Jesus did based on his performance, not mine. Let me show you a scripture that I know you know, but we tend to focus on the doing of the scripture rather than the being. Watch this. Uh, Mark 9, 41, whoever gives you a cup of water in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Okay, you see that scripture? It talks about giving someone water, right, in the name of Jesus. Okay, we focus a lot on that. Okay, who can I bless today? What can I do right? How can I please Jesus? How can I do this? But you miss the real, the, 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 the foundation of it is the fact that it says this, because you belong to Christ. The reason that God can accept me is because Jesus was rejected on my behalf. He was rejected in my place. Uh, theologically, this is called the substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement means this. Jesus was my substitute. For everything good, for everything bad, Jesus was my substitute. Jesus did everything right for me and he took on all my sin, all my wrong for me. He was the perfect substitute for my life and because I'm a believer I now belong to him mark 15 34 Jesus said this my God my God why have you forsaken me Jesus was forsaken by God so I wouldn't have to be and the word forsaken there means this to completely abandon to leave totally to reject uh, people say well didn't Jesus know this was going to happen why did he ask that question of course he knew it was going to happen I don't think Jesus knew <clears throat> exactly what it would feel like as a human to be rejected by his all-loving father who he had spent billions and billions of centuries with. And then in this moment that he took on my sin, he was now rejected. Even though that was painful for him, it's good news for us because... God will never, ever, ever reject a believer. He can't ever reject you if you're a believer because he already rejected Jesus for your sake. 
That's why God can say in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How do I know God will never leave me? How do I know he will never forsake me? Because he already did that to Jesus. Jesus paid that price for me. Jesus was rejected by people. It says in Mark 8, 31, the son of man must be rejected by the elders and chief priests be killed three days rise again. I don't know about you. I hate rejection. I have done a lot of stupid things in life because I wanted so bad to be loved and liked by people. I hate rejection. I fear rejection. God will never, ever, ever reject you or reject me. The only thing that can heal that rejection on the inside is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Not doing right, not doing this different, not doing that, but simply believing that you belong. Um, I have five kids and uh, they range from the ages of 10 to 24. And right now all my kids are doing great. But there's been times, especially the teenage years, where they weren't doing so great. I've had uh, a child um, steal from me, lie to me, destroy my property, spit on me, physically assault me, um, I mean, it caused horrible amounts of turmoil and strife. Uh, we had to take our kids, you know, to, to counseling. We've um, taken them to a prison tour. We've, you know, had inner healing, prayer, anointing with oil, everything. They're all doing great now. But during those times when each child was at their worst, there was something deep inside of me that still loved them unconditionally and still desired to be good to them and to take care of them. What was that? How could I love a person who is completely disobeying, spitting, attacking? How could I still want to be good to them? Do you know that God did that very thing for you, that he loved you and gave to you and sacrificed while you were actually spitting in his face? Before you ever did anything right, before you ever turned toward him, it says in uh, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love to you that while you were still spitting in his face, he died and gave his life for you. So I asked God when I was like, God, I don't get it. How could I? What is this inside of me that I still love these human beings when they are at their worst. God, how were you able to give your life for me when I was totally and completely disobeying you? And God said, the same reason that I love you when you spit in my face is the same reason that you love your children. Here's why. Because they belong to you. God said, the reason I love you no matter what you do, is because you actually belong to me. You know, I thought about with my kids, I thought, well, maybe it's because, you know, they're, they're all intelligent. Well, if one of them wasn't intelligent, would I stop loving them? No. Maybe it's because they're all athletic. 
But if that wasn't the case, would I still love them? Yeah. Maybe it's because, you know, my four boys are handsome. My, my little girl's beautiful. But if they were ugly, would I still love them? Yeah. Or maybe it's because they're, you know, this or they're that. But you know what? None of those things. I don't love them because of what they did do or didn't do. I love them because they belong to me. They're my children. We were created to believe. We were created to belong. And point number three is this. We were created to become. We were created to become like Jesus. Believe in Jesus, belong to Jesus, and become like Jesus. Let me give you a scripture. John 1, 12. As many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. If you believe, then you're going to become like Jesus. God will make you become like his son. Mark 1, 17. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will do this. I'm going to make you become. I'm, you're not going to do it. I'm going to make you become fishers of men. Okay, so this is a little re revelation I want to give you. Um, every one of us were born self-centered. Just like we were born rejected and we were born again accepted, we were born self-centered. Let me just prove it to you. I don't care how cute a little baby is. I've never heard a baby say, or even you know, in science, I've never heard that someone register a baby's brain and the baby thought, you know what, I'm going to sleep all through the night because I know it's going to bless my mom and dad. I'm not going to make them get up for me. Never heard a baby do that. I've never heard a baby say, you know what, I'm going to wait and let you feed me whenever you get around to it. I've never heard a baby say, I'm just going to stay in this dirty diaper until you get a chance to change me. Never. And you think they grow out of it, but then they become toddlers. I've never heard a toddler say, mom and dad, whatever food you put in front of me, I'll eat it gladly. Give me more Brussels sprouts, whatever. Never heard it. Then they turn into children. I've never heard a child say, Mom and Dad, what can I do to bless you? Then they become teenagers. I've never heard a teenager say, Mom and Dad, how can I contribute more to the house? If you ever, if that ever happened. Then they become adults. Okay, I have a true, I have two true or false questions for you, okay? I want you to answer, everyone in the room, answer together, okay? True or false? Human beings are basically self-centered. True or false? True. Now here's the next question. You are a human being. True or false? True. Okay, here's what I want to say. I, I, I kind of feel like, <laughs> I kind of feel like that when the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost were creating, that God said to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you know, guys, um, we're going to create these human beings, but when sin enters the world, they're going to become extremely self-centered. So I feel like Jesus said, ooh, ooh, let's give them the desire to marry and live together. <laughs> if they're self-centered, that'll change, you know, that you can't be married and be self-centered. And then I feel like the Holy Spirit said, ooh, if that doesn't work, let's give them children. <laughs> that'll teach them to be self-centered. We'll totally take care of that. Okay, Mark 10, 35 says this. Then James and John came to Jesus and said, teacher, we want you to do Whatever we ask you to do. There is a brand of Christianity that is this self-centered. They think there's people preaching, whatever you ask Jesus to do, he'll do it. Okay, listen, real close. That's unbiblical. 
He says, whatever you ask for in my name, what is my will, I'll do for you. If you want to bring my will into your life, you speak it, you declare it, you pray it, you praise it. If, if you want to see my will, you speak my will. But don't ever pray your will. Don't ever pray what you want. We want to pray and believe for what God wants for us. We're born self-centered, but we're born again Christ-centered. James and they, they, James and I didn't understand. Um, they, there's phrases people say. They says, "I need to do what's best for me. I need to do what's best for number one. I need someone who will listen to me. I need someone who will fulfill my desires." How about this one? I need to find myself. I know where you're at. You're, you're wherever you're at now. That's where you're at. You don't need to find yourself. Or and in churches, the most self-centered people. I don't like this about the church. I don't like that about the church. I'm not getting recognition here. I don't like that person got recognition. I don't like the lights. I don't like the music. Listen, there's a lot of things I don't like, even about my own church. But I like things that other people are blessed by. I choose to like the things that I may not like. If it's a blessing to other people, if it blesses the teenagers, if it, if it opens up the door for somebody to serve, those are the things that I like. And so James and John said, Jesus, do whatever we ask. And here's what they asked. Jesus, we want to be number two. You're number one. We want to be number two in your kingdom. In fact, they even had their mom ask Jesus, will you make my boys number two in your kingdom? They had no idea what they were saying. So Jesus said in Mark 10, 43, if you want to be the greatest, here's what you got to do. You got to be the servant of all. The more Christ centered people become, the more servant oriented they become. So I'm going to give you a great revelation here. OK, how do we become like Jesus? We need to we were created to believe, to belong and for to become like Jesus. So how do we become like Jesus? Remember when Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples, John 13, 14, he said this, if I, your Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Okay, here's the revelation. Jesus never said, if I wash your feet, you need to wash my feet. He never said that. Jesus never said, you need to serve me. He never said that. Now listen real close, okay? Just hear me out, hear me out. Jesus said, because I served you, I want you to serve people because my heart is for people. See, there's this um, this this discipleship, um, almost like a cult movement where people get in the mindset of I just need to obey. I just need to do what Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. I don't need church. I don't need people. I need to follow Jesus. And you can't talk me out of following whatever Jesus says. OK, listen real close. Here's what Jesus said. Serve people. He said, if you want to be like me, serve. He said, in fact, he said, if you want to serve me, you serve my body. Jesus never said, I wash your feet and you better wash mine. Jesus said, I wash your feet. You need to wash the feet of others around you. His focus was always people. Becoming like Jesus doesn't mean we serve Jesus. It means we serve others. That is serving Jesus. People say in a marriage, you know, I just need to follow Jesus in my marriage. Okay. Marriage, Jesus says to serve your spouse. I just, need to, I just need to follow Jesus in life. Okay, Jesus said in life, you serve other people. That's the goal for becoming like Jesus. Uh, Romans 1.1, Paul said a bondservant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle. Here's what he was saying. My position is an apostle. Paul was saying my position is that I train pastors, but my work is I serve. In our church, uh, we have elders, deacons, leaders, teachers, singers, 
ushers. Positions are nothing. There's a, there's a thousand positions, but our goal is to serve. We don't become like Jesus by getting a position. The people that never last in my church are people that want others to serve them. They want a position. There's, I, can, I can create, I can, I'll name, you want, we'll, we'll make you the Easter bunny. Whatever position you want, we'll give you a position. Who cares about that? The work we do is you serve, no matter what position is. My position is the pastor, but my work is I serve the people. That's what I do. That's what I do. It's not, a bunch, it's not about how much we serve Jesus. It's about how much we serve him. That's what it means to become like Jesus. So let me close with this story. Um, I heard a pastor um, tell this story years ago. He said that when his son was five years old, they were having Sunday lunch after church and the pastor preaches. His son was in children's church. And during lunch, the son said to his dad, said, Daddy, are you Jesus? And the pastor said, whoa, 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 what would make you ask that? And the son said, well, we learned about Jesus in children's church. And, and the teacher said that Jesus always loves me and always takes care of me. Always doing for me for me. Serving me. And so the father said, son, I am absolutely not Jesus. Absolutely not. But then the father said, but son, after you've lived in my house for many years. After you get older, one day, I would hope. That you would still ask me that question. Twenty something years went by. The son was getting married. It's his wedding day. The bride and the bridesmaids and all there at the back of church getting ready to come through the aisle. The son and his father and the groomsmen were in a side room just waiting to hear their song so they know when to come out. And the father's looking through a crack in the door. He hears the song come on, so he turns around and says, okay, guys, it's time for us to walk out. The son put his hand on the door and stopped the door from opening. He leaned over and he whispered in his father's ear, Dad, are you Jesus? I can assure you I am not Jesus. But my goal is for the world to see Jesus through me. And so by serving Jesus, by becoming like him, I serve as many people as I possibly can. So I encourage you today, spend every single day realizing that you are created to believe first. You are created to belong and you are created to become like Jesus. Amen.